On this week's podcast, my guest on Facing the Canon is Sean Stillman, author of God's Biker. Sean Stillman, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thanks, John. It's a real pleasure to be with you today. I'm delighted. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is Dusty Springfield's son of a preacher. <laughs> it's, it's on my mind. But you Don't are, ask me to sing it. No. I've got a terrible voice. But you are a son of a preacher. I am, yeah. The old man is a preacher. He, he still is when he has the opportunity. Uh, he's well advanced in years now, but I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid that survived. I've, uh, over the years, I've met many preachers' kids that have had a real crisis of faith and conflict of their own faith. Uh, but I've, I've pulled through and hung in there and stuck with it and uh, very grateful for the example my parents have been to me. But your father, I mean, was a preacher evangelist for half a century. Well, yeah, and longer. I mean, he, yeah, he, he pioneered a lot of ministry in prisons back in the late 60s. So before there were people sort of from outside the prison system going in to share something of uh, the love of Christ, he, he wheedled the way in and managed to do that. So, uh, yeah, so I guess as a, right from a, a young child for us um, growing up, um, our Christian faith was always mixed with a very practical aspect, of, particularly among the marginalised. So that was, uh, that was normal for us, uh, an understanding of Jesus on the, on the margins. I love your book. Your book is called God's Biker, Motorcycles and Misfits. Okay, let's start, Sean, with motorcycles. When did you get into motorcycles? Okay, well, I, I got into bikes as a teenager. I turned up um, to church one Sunday night and this weird and wonderful character rocked up on his motorcycle. And uh, in short, he kind of became the big brother that I didn't have and he'd been going through a bit of a crisis in his own life and I just started hanging out with him. I'm sure my folk, my parents would have had a bit of a fit and uh, me hooning around on the back of this you know, relative stranger's bike. But uh, he ended up teaching me how to ride. So I probably wouldn't have got into, into bikes if, if it hadn't have been for him. And, um, and so, yes, yeah, so I was a 14, 15 year old. I, I was on the back of his bike and then uh, when I could legally ride, I did my test as soon as I could. And, and that's it, I was off. I was, I was here, there and everywhere on, uh, on my bike. And, um, and, and very quickly, um, I, I, I met up with a few other you know, like-minded Christians as well that were into motorcycles as well. So I've, here I am, I don't know how many decades on it is now, it's a long time, but nearly half a million miles I've travelled by motorcycle over half the year. Half a million. Half a million, yeah. I'm, a, I'm probably about 20,000 miles short of it. I don't keep an, an accurate record, no. but so when I tally up all the miles I've done on different bikes, it's uh, it's coming up for half a million, yeah. So uh, it's... Uh, and, I've, and the experiences of just being on the road in so many different places, when I, when I look back, I think if, if I... If I hadn't had that connection with motorcycles and that particular subculture, I'd have missed out on an awful lot of really fascinating friendships and beautiful friendships as well over the years. And you are currently the president of the... So I'm I'm international president of a Christian motorcycle club called God Squad, God Squad. which is um, which is now 50 years old. It has its origins in Australia, and um, but we established the first chapter here in the UK in the mid 90s, so t 26 years ago. And um, God Squad has grew out of the sort of the the Jesus movement, the hippie revolution, um, Jesus movement of. Um, 
the late 60s, early 70s, and it, it originally started in Sydney, um, the first chapter there, it just lasted a few years there, but it, by 1972, a gentleman by the name of John Smith had uh, joined yeah. God's Squad and taken the Melbourne John chapter Smith. onto another level. So, uh, so yeah, so if you, you connected I mean, with Smithy, was, you know what he was like. He was a like. remarkable man, wasn't he? I yeah. Mean, he and, was. Yeah, I mean, I've heard him described in various ways and some somewhere a mix between um, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Johnny Cash and Crocodile Dundee and yes. some, some, something like that. And Smithy became a really good friend. And, and, um, and in fact, it was, it, was, uh, it was hearing John speak about the Sermon on the Mount, hearing John speak about the Beatitudes that really blew my mind and just opened up my horizons and what I thought it was to be a follower of Jesus where I'd, I'd started to ask questions of the church and wondered, well, is this as good as it gets? You know, there's got to be something more. And um, when I heard John speak on the Beatitudes, this journey of poverty of spirit to persecution and, uh, and just expounding on, on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, I asked the question, well, what if Jesus meant this stuff? So I owe him a lot of thanks. There, there was a lot more to our, our friendship and relationship than, than just motorcycles. It was a real, uh, a real deep sense of, of exploring what it meant to follow Jesus in a, in a broken world. And what's the ethos of the God Squad? What, what's it endeavouring to do? So as, as a motorcycle club, um, we, we aim to serve our friends within the motorcycle club subculture. And uh, we, I guess in some ways, the easiest way of describing it is, is to look at how a padre will function in the armed forces or how a chaplain operates within, within a hospital, for example. So we're, we're, we're sort of embedded within a subculture which, which believes and operates in a way that's very different to how we would necessarily believe and function. But we are there as an expression of the Christian church and there to serve in a priestly role to our mates within the bike scene. So we will often be called on to take funerals, to take weddings, to visit guys in jail, in hospital, to be invited to take part in, in pastoral duties with, with guys' families. Uh, we'll also be on the road with them, sharing times at parties with them, at uh, motorcycle events and at clubhouses and things. So, But it's, it's really about um, meeting people where they are on their turf and at their invitation. So your book is called God's Biker, Motorcycles and Misfits. Yeah. What do you mean by misfits? <laughs> well, I, I include myself in that. I think one of the things that I've and I guess in the course of writing it, I, I realised you pick out what common threads are. And, and after I'd written the book, I, I, I wanted to try and distill that 70,000 words into a, into a sentence, really. And I, I, I can summarise it by saying that I've discovered that we actually find beauty in broken places. Yes. And a lot of those broken places are amongst the most unlikely people and often the misfits. And, and, and when I look at the Gospels, when I look at those stories of Jesus on the road, he seemed to be uncannily natural amongst the misfits within, within that community that he was, he was working among at the time and operating with. So, uh, and the disciples, what a bunch of misfits they were that wouldn't have got on with each other. They, they all had extreme opinions in all kinds of different directions, but somehow 
around the community that formed around Jesus, all these misfits became just that, a community, a family in mission together on the road. And um, so, yeah, so for me, it's, it's, it's been a lot about motorcycles and being on the road, but life has been full of misfits and continues to be about misfits. And, and, and I'd include myself as one of those. You, you live in Swansea in Wales. I do. And you're involved in a ministry called Zach's Place. How was all that birthed? How did it yeah. start? So we, um, we founded a, uh, what we didn't know at the time would grow into a church community. We, we started something called Zach's Place, Church in a Pub, question mark. And the question mark was really important because we didn't know where it was going to go. So we're talking 1998. And... It came out of a certain amount of frustration, but also hurt, both from our experiences within the bike scene and other marginalised people, and also amongst a lot of creative people, a lot of musicians and artists. People were genuinely coming to faith, wanting to know what it meant to follow Jesus, but were just really struggled to connect with some kind of local church context. And, and I found I just couldn't leave it up to others to look after the discipleship and for people's faith to mature. So um, when we relocated back to my wife's home city in Swansea in the late 90s, um, we, we decided that we'd, we'd try and bridge that gap. And uh, so we started to meet in local bars and function rooms. And for seven years, pretty much every Sunday night, we, we gathered as a community of people, a bunch of misfits, a real bunch of oddballs, musicians, artists, bikers, all kinds of people. It was never just about bikers. We didn't want to do niche church because for, for me, it's important that the church is a, a fascinating ca casserole of flavors. And, um, and we, need, we, we need that to bounce off each other. So we started gathering in bars. So, so these are people, I mean, with creative personalities, yeah. but, but not quite people who would fit in a normal church service. Absolutely. So often creative people are the chaotic ones. We don't often know how to deal with creative, creative people. Um, they're the ones that have, have, can smell what's happening in, in society, in the community, way before everybody else. And is you know, the angst or the anger, they're asking the difficult questions. So we, so we, yeah, you throw a lot of those people into the mix. You throw a lot, throw a lot of cynical people into the mix, and uh, and it, it makes for a real fascinating um, blend of, of personalities. So we we forge this this community together in smoky bars, old music venues and stuff in Swansea city centre, and that that's how we began for those first seven years. But after a while, the question mark began to disappear because people start asking about the sacraments of communion of baptism and you start thinking well maybe we've got something here that is a bit more formal that people are are recognizing that um, they have a commitment to one another they have a commitment to the scriptures and to serving the Lord together so so the question mark gradually disappeared so it it uh, it went all together when we uh, when we uh, sort of changed our name or description to Zach's place a church for ragamuffins with an exclamation mark but it's worth noting that we took the name Zach from yeah, Zacchaeus Zach from Zacchaeus it's, it's easy to forget that so we just took that name from you know Jesus you know chose to hang out with this guy Zacchaeus one of the most unpopular guys in the community and Jesus spotted him up this tree and said hey buddy me and you we need to hang out and Jesus went to his house Jesus went to where he was um, much to the annoyance of the wider community so for us it's the idea behind it is going to where people are 
and, uh, and, and choosing to associate with the people which perhaps would not be the most popular within the community. And what's interesting, Sean, is that uh, the word Zacchaeus means pure and often misfits and ragga muffins <laughs> appear dirty, but it's almost you're saying, yeah. look, you're pure. Absolutely. In the eyes of Jesus, Absolutely. you're pure and you can be pure and you can have pure yeah. hearts. Absolutely. I mean, and, and isn't that the gospel? So much of what the gospel is. So so we've, and we are big, I mean, the way Zach's Place has developed, we, we ended up moving out of the pubs because we realised a lot of the people that we were attracting had... Um, had addiction issues, particularly with alcohol. So whilst the pub is and continues to be a wonderful place to meet people, a very natural environment, yes. it's not the best place to do no, everything. Not so a we, healthy environment for that's some right. people. So I, I, you know, we felt quite strongly that we needed to look after those people we had. And, and so we, we ended up, it's a, a long story, cut it very short, but we ended up buying an old Brethren Gospel Hall in Swansea City Centre um, by accident. Um, and... Um, and that has been our base since, um, you know, pretty much for the last 20 years. And it's become a hub of um, ongoing Christian discipleship and still got a love for the arts, but it's a central hub for the service of the poor within Swansea City Centre. So, so our place has become a place where a lot of the agencies uh, and, and even the NHS nursing teams that work amongst the poor and marginalised in the city um, gravitate to our place um, with food provision, uh, health provision. So it's become that, um, that live living embodiment of this um, being, being friends to those that are marginalised and outcasts within, within the community. You tell the story of a lady called Jenny. Tell us that story. What happened? Yeah. So this is going back a few years. So we, on a Tuesday night um, at Zach's place, we gather for what we call our tribal gathering. And it's our Bible study. It's our main focus as a church community to gather. We open the scriptures together around some old pub tables and old chapel chairs. And, um, and because our, our door goes straight out onto the street, um, anybody can sometimes literally fall through the door and sometimes people will see the light on and they think oh Zach's place is open maybe I can get some dry socks or a warm drink if they're someone that's sleeping rough so we're used to people falling through the door and on this particular occasion a lady literally fell through the door and she was in a foul mood we we knew her well really really well and um, just a few weeks before she'd been really in my face swearing at me saying look at the state of me how how can you tell me that God loves me look at me you know she she just just felt so so dirty and, and as far removed from being loved by God as someone could be and she came into our gathering that night and she caused absolute chaos um, the Bible study ended up in disarray and I, she was swaying around, you know, on, on this chair in the middle of the study. And, uh, and one of our, um, one of our community um, disappeared out, out from our lounge space into the kitchen. And I thought, oh, Glenn, you've got it right. You're, you're getting out of the way <laughs> before this gets messy. And he came back with a bowl of water. And he went up to, to this lady where she was sat almost perched on the edge of this chair with this bowl of water and and you could see in the look in her face she thought oh no not again because that morning she'd been woken up by somebody throwing a bucket of water over her where she'd been sleeping in the doorway of the shop down the road and you could just see that moment of panic on her face please not again 
But instead of that happening, um, Glenn just gently asked her, can I bathe your feet? And she agreed and she, he, he removed her, her busted up shoes and socks. And when you take off somebody's socks that's sleeping rough, you d it's not just the socks that come off. Trenchfoot didn't disappear in the First World War. And the stench is unbelievable and you've got to do that really gently because it's painful. And he just gently bathed her feet. And I've never seen someone's demeanor change so quickly. Her shoulders dropped and she just sat back in her chair and became still. And she just started singing that old Sunday school song, Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And peace and calm just descended on the place. And I thought, you know what, that, that's a pretty good place for us to finish our study tonight. And um, somebody said, oh, we, we didn't get very far, did we, tonight in the Bible study? And somebody else said, well, <laughs> haven't you been watching? Yeah. And Jenny left our gathering that night with her arms around a couple of friends singing, Yes, Jesus Loves Me, at the top of her voice down the street. And then just um, a short um, time later, a week or so later, the newspaper headlines read that, um, that a woman had been found um, dead near the station. And that was our Jenny and she'd uh, accidentally overdosed but it made the headlines because she'd actually been lying there for some hours and people thought she was sleeping but she'd actually died and um and i i contacted her her family and um and as we made arrangements for her her funeral um i spoke with her father who was a beautifully gracious man and he showed me the, the book that he had with all her different phone numbers in the back. And he just longed for his, his little girl, who was now about 40 years old, just to phone up and say, Dad, get me a cab. I want to come home. And he loved his girl so much. And um, he said, I don't want too much religious stuff at the funeral. Um, he said, I don't want any hymns or anything. He says, but I, I would just like us to sing one song if we could. And I said, what's that? And he said, I'd like us to sing, um, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. Uh, and I, I still get a bit tingly thinking That's about beautiful. it now because, and what was the remark? And I said, why? You know, what, what, why that song? And he said, well, that's the song I used to sing her to sleep to when she was a, a little girl. And it just staggered me that throughout all her life, with whatever pain and heartache and brokenness she carried, somewhere in the midst of all the mess and the madness, there was this slightest glimmer that God had not forgotten her. She dared to, to have faith, to have faith, to have faith that, that Jesus might still love her. And her life was tragically cut short. But I just love to think that she, somewhere in those moments of a complete, not a complete stranger, someone that she didn't know well, bathed her feet. And in that process, she just felt something of the touch of the Spirit of God said you know what I've not forgotten you you're okay and I love you and that was that was a pivotal moment for us as a church community and but it embodies so much of 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 what the love of Christ can do in the most broken people absolutely have you seen Sean through the ministry that you have in Swansea and and through the God Squad have you seen misfits to use your word, come to Christ and be integrated into the community of the church? 
Yeah, I mean, the, <clears throat> I've got to be honest and say there's been a lot of disappointments over the years. Um, but yeah, there's 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 fruit, you know. There's there's life, there's life out there, and um, you know, and I, I can I can think of one particular guy who, who many years ago, I can think twenty years ago, gave me a proper mouthful when we were out at a public bike event, and he was a pumped up, angry man, not long out of the armed forces, and he was the fixer in his particular motorcycle club that he was part of, and he was he was particularly aggressive. Um, towards me and those that I was with and here we are 20 odd years later and we're riding with the same motorcycle club with the same colours on our back of God Squad and um, but that's been a long road and uh, you know that, that's not an isolated incident but it, is, it doesn't happen every day um, that, that's for sure but it, it's there's and Zach's place is full of these you know misfits and oddballs that are that come from all different corners of, of life and the community that are just trying to work out what it is to follow Jesus and uh, we should never underestimate um, you know what what uh, what the love of Christ would do in somebody's life. What would you say Sean to anyone that's listening now viewing listening to our conversation they feel they're a bit of a misfit what would you say to them? I think um, I love the story in scripture where, where Jesus is challenged and he's challenged with, with the words of what's the most important stuff in all of scripture. And, and Jesus' response always challenges me and encourages me. So, because Jesus responded with something that was very familiar to, to Jewish listeners. Um, it was the words of the Shema. And that was to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. Now, I guess I naturally gravitated towards the loving your neighbour as yourself, but I, I found the former part of that expression absolutely pivotal because I guess wrongly I assumed that loving God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength was okay if I was coming from a position where I knew my heart was pure, where I knew my soul was in a really good place and I was feeling strong and my mind was sharp. But what happens if we know our heart is troubled? What, what happens if we know it's crushed? What happens if we discover there's stuff within the core of our soul which is never mind anybody else seeing, we're actually too scared to visit ourselves. What if as we advance in years and our body starts to break down, can we still love God with all our strength and our mind when we've passed our best? And just after the account of this story, Jesus brings to the attention an old lady to his mates. And I can imagine him sitting there and he gives them an elbow in the ribs and says, look at this, look at her over there. And she puts these couple of coins in the collecting pot. And that story's got nothing about money, but it's got everything about giving out of your poverty. And for me, the journey is always starts with poverty of spirit. And when I look at my own life, when I look at the, the misfits and the oddballs that I've spent my time with, many of them have gone through life trying to, I guess, stir a bucket of bricks with a pencil. Life has been hard, really hard. And we have to get to this place of understanding, I think, that what God wants of us is our all, even if our all doesn't actually add up to very much. 
or we don't think it's worth a great deal. So even with those dark recesses within our own soul, which can be scary places to visit, even when our own health begins to fail and we struggle with stuff, the call I think from the Lord is to love him, love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. And if it's not much, that's okay, because all that we're asked to give is all that we can. And for me, that's I, I'm I'm have that for me that's a, a living and, and present reality. Um, as of I've, I've I've had my own health struggles over recent years with Parkinson's, and I know that I've passed my peak of critical thinking. And as I can feel in my body, my body breaking down. But that doesn't stop me loving God with all that I do have. And um, so I just want to encourage people to keep going and keep loving God with your all, no matter how fragile and how weak you feel that is. Thank you, Sean. That was uh, beautiful. You mentioned uh, Parkinson's, Sean. Mm. When were you diagnosed with, uh, with that? So uh, um, that comparatively recently, so, so in the summer of, uh, of 2021, after a couple of years of experiencing various symptoms and, uh, and very debilitating symptoms, um, uh, it's, it's a neurological condition, it's, it's incurable, nobody really knows why people get Parkinson's, it affects your, your muscles within your body. And, um, um, but I've responded really well to medication and uh, feeling very well supported by a lot of people and I can still function you know, at a very high level and um, I can still ride and drive and, and do most of what I would normally do, but uh, it's meant a life of discipline um, around medication, around exercise and diet, and also making sure I uh, control levels of stress. That's really important too. Um, so it's, it's, it's a challenge. I mean, it's a condition I wouldn't wish on, on anybody, um, but, it's, uh, but it's helped me see with new eyes what it really does mean to love God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength as you feel those things weaken. Absolutely. Uh, well, we live in this world, I often say, Sean, we live in this world of miracle and mystery, mm. don't we? Yeah. Uh, but uh, we can pray. And I, I would love to do something now. Um, we, we've got people tuned in all over the world. And I'm going to ask you to join in with me to pray for Sean, and also to pray for your own health if you're struggling with health. So let's pray. Lord, I, I pray along with everyone else that's tuned in, I'm praying for Sean and praying for anyone else that's tuned in that is struggling with their health. We pray to you as the great physician that you would release your healing grace, your healing presence to bring health and wholeness and restoration. Pray that the Lord will preserve you, Sean, and keep you, that the Lord will make his face to shine upon you. We pray that for you and we pray that for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Sean, you, I've so enjoyed uh, having this conversation with you. I love your heart for broken people. And uh, I love the way that you have so much love and compassion in your heart and uh, pray that the Lord will continue to preserve you and keep you. 
and to keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. Wow. I found that really uh, stirring. Uh, I'm still thinking about Jenny and that beautiful story of the washing of her feet. I hope that's uh, inspired you. I hope it's moved you. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. Hi everyone, I'm delighted to be able to let you know that our new resource, How Can I Pray, is available now. This is a book targeted for primary school age children. If we're honest, we all find it hard to pray and it's good to remind ourselves of that beautiful prayer that the Lord Jesus instructed us to pray. This is beautifully illustrated and communicates very simply how we can talk to our Heavenly Father. Can I encourage you to purchase copies for your children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, for your churches and help children in their journey of faith. Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com.